Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Tom James, director and co-owner of Omega Architects. Omega Architects is an architectural firm that has won numerous awards and partnerships with some of the largest house builders across the UK. Tom, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well get straight down to business. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I guess it means someone who sort of has a strong sense of leadership. I know that sounds obvious, but someone that people can look up to, I guess, and follow and perhaps be inspired by, um, and someone who kind of brings brings people together and, and gets them working, really. So a centralizing figure. Yeah, I think that was how I would summarize it, yeah. How would you summarize your personal leadership style? Um, very much trying to get the best out of each individual, I guess, really. Um, you know, looking at someone's strengths and then trying to bring bring that out of them in, in the company to, um, to help us move forward as a team. Um, so, for example, if someone's really good at drawing, um, then we would put them into doing hand-drawn perspectives and images of projects, whilst if someone was much better at, say, the computer side of things, the digital side of things, we'd get them working on uh, 3D visualizations and things like that. So, yeah, it's finding people's talents, um, nurturing those, and hopefully pushing them even further in their career, um, which also would be mutually beneficial to the company as well. It's excellent to hear that you have that sort of pipeline for your uh, staff. Do you have a formal uh, mentorship program or is this just bespoke uh, for each individual? Um, We don't have anything formal in place. We're quite a small company. There's only 20 of us at any sort of one time. Um, So we're kind of family-orientated type company. Uh, We like to give that more personal touch to our staff. Um, So it's only really me and uh, James Harmon, who's the other other owner-director here, and we both try and be as hands-on as possible with mentoring. Um, In particular, in our industry, um, there's quite a lot of ongoing continual professional development, such as your part three for your RIBA to become a fully qualified architect. Um, and we like to help people in that respect with um, you know, advice and mentorship. But also there's stuff on the job about all the experiences that we've had over the years that we can pass down to younger graduates and people who start working with us. So it's kind of an ongoing process, really. Um, there's some formal stuff in terms of particularly the, the career professional development, but there's a lot of informal advice and nurturing we like to give as we go through each project. What's the advice that you give to uh, young people looking to get into your profession? Um, do you know what? One of, the, one of the things we seem to be losing sight of actually a little bit in the architecture profession is, is what it, for me, always, was all about when I was a young kid and then growing into a teenager and an adult was actually drawing. Um, having a passion for, for drawing by hand um, and whether that comes through, you know, doing life drawing or drawing pictures of buildings and when you're out and about or sketching, um, it does seem that, that that sort of skill has been lost over the years and it, a lot more emphasis has been placed on the kind of digital side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually the skill of being able to get across an idea very quickly via a hand drawing, I think is fundamental to, to what we do. So, one of my first bits of advice to anyone thinking of becoming an architect or, or in this industry would be really, really work on your drawing skills, actually. Um, and then 
hopefully a lot of things kind of spring from that, all the other bits and pieces that come with it. But it, for me, it all comes down to that, whether you can summarize an idea or get an idea across very quickly, you really need to be able to have that sort of talent of, of drawing. So yeah, that would be one of my big bits of advice. Well, let's take a step back to when you were first starting out in uh, your career. Was there a particular individual who inspired you or who you've modeled your leadership style off of? Um, yeah, there's been many people over over my life, really, that, that have influenced me and inspired me. My, my own father being one, he was an architect, um, and I sort of definitely was influenced by him as a, as a child, and if not a teenager, but in my sort of adult career, my previous boss, who I bought the business from, Alex Russell, um, was a very influential figure in my life, um, particularly when I first started here at Amiga. Um, he gave me, a, like I'm doing now, gave me a lot of advice about the industry and about people to meet and talk to and how to deal with clients, etc. Um, not only, and then combine that with any talent that you have within, within the architecture industry. So, yeah, I would say he was a big influence um, and various tutors, I think, in university and places like that over the years have had influences as well. Well, this uh, next question is slightly off-piste from our, our normal patter. Uh, but uh, since we're speaking about architects and uh, the uh, influence that they have, uh, who's uh, the greatest influence you've had uh, in architecture? <clears throat> as an individual, oh, sort of as, as an architect that you uh, have uh, drawn inspiration from in the past. Yeah, I mean, again, with this, this, this huge amounts, and I think that's the, the joy for me of, of architecture is each individual person can bring a completely different approach and have a different style. Um, but I suppose the key names that stand out are Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. There's so many. Santiago Calatrava, I really like the work he does. And obviously in the UK, you've got your your famous guys, Norman Foster and Richard Rogers. And whilst they're called sort of superstar architects these days, what they did, when they first began in their young careers was, was completely game changing and, um, and changed the whole face of architecture. So they've got to be up there as well. Now, if we bring this up to a much larger scale, if I was to press you to identify the greatest leader living or dead, who would that be? Greatest leader living or dead. Wow. That's a tricky one. I, I mean, know. again, so many leaders come with their, um, their, their, their benefits, but also their pitfalls, I, I think, over the years. Um, mm. I suppose the one that keeps coming back uh, at a time of crisis was uh, Winston Churchill, I suppose. Um, I think in, in that respect, he brought a whole country together and, and you know, and the times we're living through at the moment of Brexit and political uncertainty and things like that, I think that's one thing we're, we're very much missing at the moment is someone who can bring the whole country together. So I think, yeah, I think I would say someone like Winston Churchill, really. Again, that unifying figure uh, that we spoke of earlier. Um, do you find that you draw lessons from Churchill's leadership in your day-to-day operations? Well, I'm not saying we're going to fight them on the beaches every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Although some days it does feel like that. No, I think it's, you know, listen, he's, he's someone I think of when I think of leadership. I wouldn't necessarily, I, I have his qualities, but... Certainly, if there are times of difficulty, for example, where we may be under pressure to um, achieve a deadline that seems, you know, ridiculously impossible, it's times like that when you need to really, you know, excusing the pun, rally the troops and get people, you know, into the idea of what they're doing. Um, 
and yeah, a bit of the rhetoric of Churchill's time sometimes comes into play in terms of working together as a team and getting it getting it done for the sake of all of us, etc. So yeah, I think there are times when we draw on his um, his inspirational ideas. Now, if you could speak to yourself a decade ago, what sort of leadership traits would you tell yourself to embrace, and which ones would you tell yourself to leave behind? Oh, that's a very good question. I think. Yeah, now I am a leader as such. I've learned a lot um, and I have changed. And I think I certainly would learn to listen more to people and um, take more time to, you know, bring people into it rather than forcing your opinions, if you like, on everyone. I think that's definitely a huge part of leadership is is listening and bringing people in to your team rather than telling everyone what to do. So that's certainly something I've learned and would, would change from the outset. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But what does the next 12 months have in store for Amica Architects? Well, again, bringing it back to politics, I think since we've had a decision with a local, with a general election and um, whilst we're, whether you agree with it or not, I think everyone's relieved that we've come to a conclusion on this situation. I think that's going to have a big effect on us as a business in terms of there's going to be some positivity and some certainty um, in our industry, which I think was going to lead to hopefully a fairly busy year for us, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, in the longer term, I'm not sure how long that, that good feeling is going to last for, but certainly this year, I think we're going to have a very busy year. I can see us um, doing lots of new developments, um, and particularly, again, in line with the, um, the government's push for beautiful places and beautiful buildings, which is something that we've always championed. Um, I think, yeah, we're going to have a very busy year this year. Well, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much hope you come back on the show soon uh, to fill us in on how your plans pan out. No problem. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. That was Tom James, director and co-owner of Omega Architects. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time, it was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, there were one or two injuries, um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports, that was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in when you were at West Ham uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that 
genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life 
But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was, I was playing... And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, 
people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you, you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that 
occur to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, 
um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And going back to an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. 
Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.